Kia ora. Welcome to this edition of the Morrisville Baptist Church Podcast. Thank you for connecting with us to discover more about our faith community. Feel free to visit our website at morrislebaptist.com. I hope this message is an encouragement to you. Uh, my name is, is Tom and this is Richard. Richard, yep. <coughs> Most days. And uh, it's, it's just a real honour to be up here together today to... Um, to look at our last chapter of Malachi, um, along with, where's Kelly? Kelly here? She was here. Um, we, we have the privilege of, of being pastors here at Morrisville Baptist Church, and uh, it's just, yeah, as I say, a real honour to open the word and to share what the Lord has put on our hearts. And so we do, we come to the end of Malachi, the final chapter of Malachi, the final chapter of the Old Testament, and uh, what a, what a chapter it is. Um, six verses, but it is packed uh, with just an incredible hope, which we're going to look at shortly as we go through these verses. But before we do that, just to give a real quick kind of um, look back at, at what, we've, what, we've, uh, what we've studied over recent months, uh, we've looked at Malachi, who is the messenger, or a messenger, and he has taken us through these six disputations, these six back and forths between God and the Israelites. Uh, and, and in each one of these, God has called his people to return, to repent, to come back to faithfulness, come back to what was established in that covenantal relationship between God and his people. And I think um, as we've looked at this, as we've looked at how Malachi's audience, the Israelites, will have interpreted what he said, think that we've had some really deep challenges ourselves. Just like as we went through Amos earlier in the year, we're seeing the relevance, the importance, the beauty of the Old Testament and just how much in here is, is of deep value and challenge to us uh, where we are today. As we come to chapter 4, <coughs> the disputations are over, the six disputations are over, but Malachi's message continues and he he, he would call the Israelites, so he'd encourage them, and I believe there's an encouragement for us here as well, to consider the six disputations as, as a way of reorientating, of, of coming back to the Lord. And uh, if I go through those quickly, you know, I, I feel there's a challenge here to reorientate back, to become people, to become, come back to God, to become people who, who know God's unfailing love, people who respect God's name, bringing wholehearted worship to him. People who respect God's covenant by being obedient. People who, who recognize that only God is truly right. People who give generously as an expression of our love for God. And people who show our love for others through serving each other. And obviously we've spent time unpacking each of these uh, over, the, over the months. And I'd really encourage you um, to go back and listen to those messages. You can find them through, through the website or through YouTube, um, whatever the case, just as a way of, of looking back and going through and being challenged again. At the end of the Old Testament, we're told, and we're going to learn this today, there, there is a day that is coming, a day when God will intervene in the affairs of all people, and he's going to bring victory to those who are obedient to God's instructions and judgment to those who are not. Now, chapter 4 is... An amazing chapter, and 
I feel like I say this every time, but there's, there's just so much in here. And I know when Richard and I were considering what we'd speak, we, we got stuck because there was just so much that we wanted to share this morning, so much that has impacted us that we think is important. But we're going to leave um, you to go away and study this last chapter, and, and we certainly pray that the Holy Spirit will reveal to you what God is saying at the moment. And this morning what we're going to do is we'll quickly, well not quickly, we'll briefly go through the six verses, verse by verse, with the, with the heart to understand how the Israelites would have received these words. And then in the second half, we're going to take time to just look at a couple of key learnings uh, that we think are, are relevant and important this morning. Um, yeah, is there anything you wanted to add to that, Richard? Yeah, just as we, we pondered and worked through these six disputations, it's kind of, we started off with God's love, his unfailing love that we can have confidence in. And... Uh, reorientating our attitudes, but ending up, what's our response? And one is to express our love for, love for God, for his, his gratitude. And secondly, that we show love for one another because of that gratitude. And that's at the heart of God's commandments, whether you're in the Hebrew Bible, whether you're in the New Testament. It's reorientating us back to that. And it's quite beautiful in terms of we study God's word, we can look at it many times, but as you do, you just keep seeing these these concepts and, uh, and God's purposes keep coming back to the fore. God doesn't change. And so I've been encouraged by that. You know, and our response is one of gratitude to God and to one another. And we glorify God when we do. We've sung about it. The challenge is for us to display that in our lives. Nico? Can we just... <coughs> yeah, we were going to get out the old egg egg timer and uh, challenge ourselves to stick to yeah. one minute, but probably closer to two, won't it, yeah. to go through each of these verses. And so as we've just gone through Malachi, before we read the verses, it's just being reminded, and the people have been struggling as, as we've worked through Malachi and, and Amos, you know, where, where's God's promises? We keep hearing about them, we're not seeing them. We start off the, um, the, old, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, with the Garden of Eden, everything going badly, it's broken faith, broken trust in the garden with God. We kind of see that almost happening here at the end of Malachi. Is this just one big cycle going on? Problems of broken trust at the beginning. Is this happening now at the end of the Hebrew Bible? And part of that challenge is we're dealing with an immortal God and we're humans with finite lives and we want God to do everything in our own time. And that's a challenge, isn't it? And it requires faith to reorientate back to God's uh, timetable. And so the people were struggling, but God has a plan to deal with this, this constant cycle of broken faith, trying to get right with God and then breaking faith again. And we see it right through the Bible. But God's going to do something that will ultimately fix that for eternity. And that's where we're encouraged and part of looking to the word of God is being able to see that and be encouraged again. And so we're going to pick up these final few verses, the final verses of the Old Testament, and see where we end. And it kind of ends on a surprising word as part of that. But let's, let's read those first and um, know that God is working out his purposes in his time and in his way, and he has the power to do that. And uh, we can be confident in that. So let's lift our eyes to the Lord and let's read his word now. Right, oh, that's me, I'm starting, aren't I, doing verse one? Hopefully up there, Tom's wondering what I'm doing. It's all right, I'm used to this. Yeah. yeah. 
So let's just read verse 1 of chapter 4. The Lord of heaven's armies uh, says, The day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches and all. Kind of sounds tough, doesn't it? You know, we're coming to the end of the Old Testament and we're reading these kind of verses here. The reality is, is when we look throughout the whole Bible, one of the key themes we read in the Bible is the day of the Lord's coming, right here again. And actually, it's there in the New Testament too. It's just, it's changed. It's referred to as Jesus' second coming. It's the same date. And we all have an appointment uh, with that day. And we, we can't ignore that. And we feel uncomfortable with that, with that concept of, of judgment. 150 years ago, all you heard was about God's judgment and no love. Pretty hard. Kind of, in that time, we probably shifted the other way that we talk a lot about love and we feel uncomfortable with judgment. But when we understand who God is, judgment is part of God's love. We need to, to grapple with these things because God is just and fair in all he does. And so when we read these words, we know this is coming from a place of love and God has a plan for all of this. So we can be encouraged even when we feel uncomfortable because God is a just judge and only he is completely just. None of us are. And aren't we glad that our futures are in just hands, perfect hands. So let's pick up now and um, with verse 2, Tom. All right. So verse 2 reads, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture. So while judgment for the wicked will be like a furnace, as we're told in verse 1, in verse 2, we're told that judgment for the righteous will be like, like the sunshine. Um, this verse it gives, it gives a vision of hope. And, and for the Israelites, they would have heard this, a vision of hope for the faithful remnant. For those who would reorientate, take those six disputations as a call to repent and come back to, uh, to, to their obedience and covenantal relationship. The Israelites are given hope that God's people will be spiritually restored and renewed. Now, there's, there's a bit of debate over the specific meaning of this verse where it talks about the sun of righteousness rising with healing in his wings. Uh, we're going to take a bit of time to unpack that a bit further later on, so I won't do it here. Um, but what we can understand, and most biblical scholars would agree with us, or we'd agree with them, it's probably a better way to put it, is that what this is talking about, this is a prophecy of the coming of Jesus, as, as Richard has just talked about. Now that last part where it talks about joy, the, um, uh, sorry, it talks about joy, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture. And I was reading this, I was thinking when I was a child on the farm, and I know this talks about calves, but I'm going to talk about sheep, because um, <clears throat> we've all had enough of calves, haven't we, with calving. Uh, but when, when you open a paddock and you let the sheep come into a paddock of new pasture, my, my mind immediately imagines or sees the sheep, you know, when they go through the gate and they just jump like ridiculously high and just the, the elation that these, these animals have of being in a, in a new pasture. And that's the image that we're meant to have here, this absolute delight and elation of the sudden freedom that will be found uh, 
for the righteous on this day. Verse 3, Richard. Thanks, Tom. On the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Now, Tom got the good verse. <laughs> He's talking about God knows his people. God watches over his people. But sandwiched in between that, that so in, that, that's sandwiched in, in as the filling. But either side, there's this, uh, there's this word of judgment coming. But in the midst of that, there is hope. And when we read through the Bible, whenever God is correcting, he always gives hope. And we see that through Malachi. And God's hope isn't just a wishful thinking hope. It's rock-solid hope to, to know and understand these things. That God, and he reveals himself as Lord of hosts, will come to judge. And no one can stop God from doing that. Because he will have the final say. And so we know one of the things that's impossible for God to do is to lie that the day of his coming will return. But just the same as that, the day of his new heavens and the new earth will come as well. Because God cannot lie. And his plan and his purposes will come to fruition. And we can have confidence in that. And so God's watching over his people. And in challenging times where the world seems so, so big and, 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 and the majority compared with the church. Actually, God's watching over his people. And God has his hand on us, thankfully. And God will see his plans fulfilled. And so we can take confidence in the midst of some of these challenging verses as we come to the end. And so as we warn this, we have God say, I see my people, there's judgment coming, I'm coming. Then God brings hope. And, uh, and uh, this is a, a wonderful way we see that the Old Testament will close. As God is saying, I'm coming. This is part of my plan and purposes. He'll reveal and just give a snippet of that in these final two verses. Did you want to pick up in verse 5, Tom? Verse 4. Verse 4, easy. <laughs> good tip. There's only six of them. Good, good test. It's all right. You, you passed. Yeah. Right, verse 4 says, Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations that I, gave, that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all Israel. Now, much of Malachi's message has been about Israel's lack of obedience. And, uh, and this reference to Moses is, is a reminder of, of the law, a reminder of the covenantal relationship that they have with God. And uh, we've, we've unpacked that at length um, as we've gone through, through Malachi. And when they hear this reference to Moses, it would have brought to mind... Not only, not only the law, but it would have brought to mind all of the miracles that God did in bringing them out of, out of Egypt, as well as the blessings and the curses we've, we've talked about, and, uh, and this covenantal relationship that they have with God. And so what Malachi is, is, is he's pleading for the people to repent, to lift their eyes and return to God, return back to the promises that were in that relationship and that covenant that was established between uh, God and his people. So that's, that's this remember here. Remember to obey the law of Moses. Remember what I've established with you through that covenant. Mm -hmm. Me? Yes. Okay, verse 5. Verse 5. Good, well done. 
Look, I am sending uh, you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. And we talked about Moses, and kind of represent, <coughs> representing the, 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 the covenant, God's instructions, his Torah, his, his law. I'm sending Elijah too. And kind of as we sort of you know, get to learn more about God's word. And I love Psalm 23. It says, David says, that when you go through the valley of darkness, who will be with us? Our shepherd, our God. When Jesus will come to the end of, of Matthew 28 before he's returning to heaven, where is he going to be? He says, I'm going to be with my people to the very end of the age. I'm going to walk with my people. This is Emmanuel, God with us. And so, touching on about Moses, touching on Elijah, says, I'm going to walk with you to the very end of this age. So, be confident, even though you may not be able to see everything. In those moments of darkness, when you're going through that valley, like David knew, is that God will walk with his people. And so we have this wonderful promise here that God has said, I'm going to walk with my people. No matter what you may face, what may happen, my problems are un my, my purposes are unfilled, I will be with my people. And that's an encouragement to us all. Tom, last verse. Right, the last verse of Malachi, and the very last verse of the Old Testament, the last word from God for 400 years. Here it is. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. So we're still talking, uh, this is obviously in verse 5, it says, look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah and this is uh, what he's saying, that his preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Um, <clears throat> what Malachi is saying to the Israelites is that obedience to Elijah's teaching will result in covenant blessing. And, and this will, they'll find peace, starting with uh, the restoration with, within families. But there's also a deeper thing here that's understood that uh, this is a call for them to return to the God of their fathers uh, in terms of the patriarchs, Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob. These men who were faithful, these men who were obedient and who trusted God, it's saying return to that faith. The last part here, the very last sentence, otherwise I will come and strike the land with a curse. Richard mentioned it earlier um, about this breaking faith. And right back in the Garden of Eden, we see this place that was meant to be this beautiful place of blessing. We see a curse come because of the sin of man. And uh, there's, a, there's a, something here that Malachi is saying to the Israelites. Look, if you do not turn your hearts, if you do not reorientate, if you do not come back to God, then what you can expect is that you will be struck with a curse. We're going to uh, take a bit more time later on to talk about Elijah and this messenger that, that Malachi talks about. Um, but before we do that, I'm going to give Richard a bit of time to unpack. Um, maybe I'll just let you speak, eh? Because I don't really know what you're going to say, to be fair. Neither do I. Well, we what planned, we planned <laughs> but who knows what we'll do here. Yeah. Well, at the, end, at the end, of, end of Malachi, it comes, finishes on this word curse. And actually, the Jewish people, when they read the, the, the Hebrew Bible... They, they 
don't want to finish on that word. They actually read the, the penultimate verse, the verse before again, so they can finish on a, on a happier note, uh, feeling uncomfortable with that. Uh, but we, we have the next, the, the, the next chapter, which is Matthew chapter 1. But before Matthew chapter 1, we're going to have silence for 400-odd years, and we've kind of talked about that before, until the time of John the Baptist. And the, the first words of Matthew 1 is, is Jesus, son of Abraham, son of David, which again shows the continuity of God's word. And so when God wasn't speaking, what are we called to do? We're called to walk by faith in his revealed word. And so as we consider the end of the Old Testament, it's called we talk about canon, means measuring rod. We have the same with the New Testament. Is that, is that we have God's revealed will to test all things. And even when we think God speaks to us through the Holy Spirit, we're still called to test it against the written word because God won't contradict himself. And often it's we make mistakes. And so we have the canon here to help us. And God says, I've given you all you need to know, even if I'm not speaking you directly of how to live and how to walk faithfully and, and and so we have this period and so they need to dig deep into that and to walk by faith in that and so we have this continuity but as we know when the new testament comes we will also see some discontinuity because the age of sacrifices for example come to an end with jesus so some things will keep going from Genesis to Revelations, Revelation and God will change other things in the light of Jesus' uh, death, burial and resurrection. And so the challenge is to keep trusting God in the midst of his silence. I've already told you what to do. This was a challenge for the, the Israelites and it's a challenge for us too. And Jesus said, go and make disciples and be good disciples. And we're called to learn and study the word of God, aren't we? And so one of the challenges in, in, in this is that learning God's word is I find a really helpful verse as we study God's word is, is, is what Moses uh, shared. And it's still relevant today. He'd say to the, to the people of Israel, the Lord our God has secrets known to no one. We are not accountable for them, but we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us, that we may obey all the terms of these instructions, the Torah or law. And so God says there's some things I'm going to tell you and reveal to you and walk by them, learn them and apply them. But he said there are some things you're not going to know. That's God's business. For example, very clear, there's a day of the Lord, a day of Jesus' coming. But the timing of that, God says, that's not for you to know. And what do people often do? Write many books on when the timing of Jesus might be. And God really says, don't bother. And yet many people have been deceived about that. And so we're called to, to, to search out God's revealed will and not the things He's told us, I will reveal those in my own good time. And so that's that part of our challenge. We easily get distracted. And so when we look to God's word, and God says a revealed thing, there will be heaven and earth, a new heaven and new earth. That should fill us with courage. 
and strength. I love what Paul says in, um, in, uh, in Colossians, where he speaks about faith and love spring from the hope stored up for us in heaven. And one, that's one of the revealed things. There'll be a new heaven and earth, but we don't know the timing of that. But Paul will say in 1 Corinthians, love is the greatest of all, faith, love, and hope. And yet, understanding God's word is, is, is really valuable and profitable. Because in Colossians, Paul says the greatest is hope. Why? Because in the context of Corinthians, people were lacking love. When he's dealing with Colossians, he's dealing with hope. And we need hope because out of hope will spring faith and love. When we consider the hope that's stored up for us in heaven, it builds our faith and builds our love. And that's the challenge we have of trying to learn the whole counsel of God to be good students. And that builds our faith when we look to God's plans and the purposes that he's revealed. That's part of our challenge here. And just think, you know, the, the word of God often surprises us. You know, in, in the Hebrew Bible, they, the, the Bible spoke about a suffering servant coming, <clears throat> about a king who will reign forever. And naturally, people thought these were two different people. But only when God revealed that finally through Jesus, we came to learn that this was one person coming twice. And that the Messiah would both be human and divine. But God will reveal those in his good time as to what they were to, to be. And so we need to be prepared. And God may surprise us as he reveals his word, but in his time. But it requires faith and being open to God's timetable. And that's part of our journey. That's why we need one another, because we can go wrong by ourselves, can't we? And we can encourage one another as we learn together. And so part of just um, considering our faith, I just wanted to touch on uh, just a really sh a short story of great faith we read in the New Testament. And I'll make, this will connect back to Malachi in a minute. But um, I, I find this story quite amazing. A woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind Jesus, touched the edge of his cloak and and of his cloak, and he said, cloak there, he said to herself, she said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. And uh, this woman who spent all her money, everything she had on doctors, and yet she was not healed, she would have been isolated having a bleeding problem. She wouldn't have been able to mix. Imagine all of us in here, and this lady would have to be outside across the road, could never gather or commune. And yet, when Jesus turns up, she seeks him. She's not embittered. She's not angry. She heads towards him. And uh, it's quite amazing to see that. But um, we read that story and we say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we kind of get that. But uh, one thing I, I found quite, quite helpful um, in, 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 in considering the Bible and learning about it is just going back to the Old Testament. I'll make, this will become obvious in a moment. One of the things that God had, had said to the Israelites is 
sew tassels onto your garments. And the purpose of having these tassels was to remind you of God's word. And um, that would help you through life. Whenever, whatever's going on, think about God's word, whatever situation. And so what that would, would happen was uh, God, God said, do that on your garments. No, I'll leave that, leave the hat. And as a way, as a way of understanding. Now, by the time of the Jesus, rather than just having it on your garment, you might have seen these before, put these out, is they actually wore kind of a, an outer garment with like a share with these kind of tassels on here. There are knots on here, there are tassels and various um, uh, small ones in here. In total, they're meant to add up to 613 commandments of the Hebrew Bible. And so, um, by the time of Jesus, they kind of started to think, hey, the most righteous person here would be the one with the flashiest garments, perhaps the longest tassels <coughs> and stuff. And so they kind of started to think about those things. Who, who's, got the best, who's got the best prayer shawl? And you kind of put it over here and pray. And often you, you, you'd really find all four tassels thing. down here and you would kind of pray to God and sometimes you'd pray with your head bowed looking at the knots remi reminding you of, of God's word. And so, the time of Jesus, they're kind of thinking, is my tassel longer than... Oh, no, Tom is longer than mine. <laughs> <coughs> I didn't realise that. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have got mine out if I'd known that. I told you you should have left it at home here. <laughs> so, do, so does that mean that, that Tom is more righteous than I? Yeah. Hey, <laughs> I'll see you after. <laughs> but we have this... Um, we, we had these, and the whole purpose was thinking about the word of God. Now, we had this strange, strange verse in, in Malachi 4.2, which said the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. Now, by the time of Jesus, they kind of think, this, who's this messianic figure? But they thought that this person was going to be a righteous person. Um, and... <laughs> <laughs> he'll be righteous, that he'll be able to do miracles. And one thing that he'll be able to do would be to heal. And so the kind of the idea in Malachi is that the person, that, 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 that verse, is that God will bring healing and restoration in its original context in Malachi 4 too. But we come here and uh, we, receive, we, we read these verses. And this woman just grabs like that, the edge, edge of, of Jesus's garments or his cloak it says in there and that she was healed and so was was her faith in Jesus' garments and in Jesus' cloak no, no. Oh. and so um, and so one of the challenges we have in understanding God's word is the, the word that we have for this strange phrase of healing in your wings the word for wings is the same word as corners, canaf, canafim. Just a bit like the word nails in English. It can mean our nails on here. You painted your nails recently, Tom? You could have had it done on, on Friday night at the Impact Group. Or, or it could mean nails, you know, um, as in nails that went through Jesus' hands and, and feet. 
Uh, so you have to learn that by, by the context. And, and so we have this word, that you'll have healing in your wings. And so by the time of Jesus, they were wearing these corners. Where would your healing come from? In your corners or your wings? And so, again, these are pointing to the word of God. And so, where do we go? Let's just go back here. And so, imagine the time of Jesus. What's going on? This woman was reaching out for Jesus' garment. What was she reaching for? In the time of Jesus, she would have been a good Jewish rabbi. He would have been wearing one. What would she have been reaching out for? The tassels. And they understood at the time that the Messiah would come as a righteous man and bring healing in the corners representing the word of God. And so, what was she seeing in Jesus? She was seeing this righteous man who was the Messiah. And so when she reaches out, she's kind of saying, I know you are the Messiah. The Pharisees may not understand that. The leaders may not, but I believe you're the Messiah. And she reaches out. Despite the anger, the pain, the rejection, the isolation, she still reached out to God. She didn't turn her back on God and said, I've had enough of you, God. You haven't answered any of my prayers. She reaches out. And what does Jesus say? Take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And so her faith isn't in the garments. And we often place our faith in objects. Her faith was in the one wearing these. Representing the word of God. And John says, Jesus is the word of God who came and dwelt among us. The word of God put on flesh and showed us what it was like to live. And so uh, pretty uh, uh, amazing as we discover God's riches. And that's what I love about the, the, the Carey study that's happening on Tuesday night. It's just delving into God's word. It gives us more confidence in who God is and what he is like. And so this woman showed great faith. And Israel was going to need to show great faith. God's not speaking. Life is tough. Keep your eyes on God. What does this woman who's bleeding for 12 years do? She has faith. She keeps her eyes on Jesus. She's not embittered. She's not angry that we can know of. She still turns to God. Pretty amazing. And we need that kind of enduring faith today where life is difficult and tough is that we keep our eyes on God. And uh, one of the things, just before I hand back to Tom, is just, just to consider one of the things that kind of is, may well be, is, is, is helpful, before we go on that, is um, it says in Psalm, in Psalm, sorry, in Psalm 42, 43, why are you downcast, O my soul? And sometimes you can be down, downcast, sorry, as you look downwards, and often... When you're meant to hold these tassels like this, you're thinking of the word of God. When you're downcast, where do you look? Who do you look to when you're downcast, when life is tough? 
And one of the reasons of having this kind of posture is put your eyes on the revealed word of God. That's where you'll find hope. That's where you'll find faith in your moments of trial. So look to God. Don't look to the world or anything else. Put your eyes on God. And that's what this woman who was bleeding did. She had, in a human context, you can understand why she would have rejected Jesus in her pain and anger. She put her eyes on him. And that's our challenge today in faith, is to keep our eyes on Jesus, on his word. Okay. Now, it's going to move back to you, Tom. Thank you. <coughs> Richard's been telling me all week that his is better. Um, yeah, I think the vote spoke for itself. So we've, yeah, we've put, yeah, yeah, no, no, I won't carry on. I, um, I, was, I was actually given that uh, at the beginning of the year from uh, my, my wife Melissa's grandparents, and uh, I didn't really recognise the significance of it until we started reading Malachi, um, and yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful gift, and as Richard has uh, so well articulated, um, just has some incredible truths and reminders in there for us. So, yeah, a fabulous gift to receive, and, and better than yours. <laughs> we'll carry this conversation on later. <coughs> we, should, we should carry on, yeah, yes. yes. Um, Richard mentioned that, that 400 years of silence, and we, before we got into Malachi chapter 1, we, we gave a couple of introduction messages looking at uh, how we get to Malachi. We also talked about the period after Malachi, before the New Testament, which is known as the intertestamental period. And uh, one of the things that we've tried to carry on through, um, the consistent message is that God is the God of history, that, that this, this is, is his story and he does not change, that God has a plan, an incredible, wonderful plan. And uh, what we see is, is that the word of God, the Bible, is an incredible display of God's sovereignty his power, his control, um, that he is in charge. And what we see um, through the Old Testament is God revealing his plan and providing a way back to him. Malachi is placed at the end of the Old Testament for very good reason, I believe. You see, Malachi is a messenger who, whom God uses to instill hope of a day coming when God's plan will be fully revealed, resulting in a new heavens and a new earth. And so one of the things I wanted to talk about this morning is what is the significance of this messenger? So in Malachi 3.1, which we've talked about already, but he says, look, I am sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And some people think that this messenger, as we've talked about uh, today in, in, in the last chapter, simply refers to Elijah. But Richard and I and many other scholars, other scholars, We'll put ourselves in, in that boat. Many scholars, plus Richard and I, or uh, I'm just going to dig a hole yeah, here. I know you are. Thank you. Move on. <clears throat> they, um, we, we believe that Malachi 3.1 specifically references John the Baptist as an Elijah-like figure. And Jesus, in fact, affirms this. He, he says, you'll, you'll know the passage in Matthew 11, he says, speaking of John, he says, this is the one about whom it is written. And he quotes from Malachi. He says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And Jesus is saying that John the Baptist is the Elijah 
who has come to prepare the way for the Messiah, for Jesus, for himself. It's pretty cool. In our introduction to Malachi, we talked about those 400 years, and we talked about how there's been this huge shift in the world in terms of power, in terms of politics, uh, language, the placement of the Jewish people. There's massive change. But what we see when we open Matthew is we see that although the world might have changed, God has not. And if we were to continue reading, as we, as we read at the end of Malachi, we talk about this messenger, one who will come to prepare the way. And in, in the start of the New Testament in Matthew, we're introduced to John the Baptist, almost like it's, there's been no time at all, just this continuation of God's plan. In Luke, we're told, and this is speaking of John, that he will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. Can you see the continuation of God's plan from old to new? It's, it's fantastic, isn't it? It's absolutely brilliant. What I think is more amazing is that this is only part of what Malachi is talking about when he refers to this messenger who will come. What we've talked about today in verses 5 and 6, we are told that before the day of the Lord, there will be an, a messenger, an Elijah-like figure, who will come and through his teaching, hearts will be returned, uh, hearts will be restored. Now what's interesting is when we study the life of Jesus, what we have in the Bible, this is not what we see in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus says in Luke 12, he says, Do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No. I have come to divide people against each other. Father will be divided against son, and son against father. It's almost the complete opposite of what Malachi is saying. And pastor against pastor? <laughs> We're going to get rid of those, aren't we, here? So what it does is it means that we must consider the fact that there is yet another messenger to come. If we are to take seriously the word of God, we need to understand that there is a messenger still to come. Now, throughout the Old Testament, Richard touched on this, but we have prophecies that speak of a Messiah who will be suffering, a suffering servant. And we have prophecies that talk about a Messiah who comes, who will be king. And, uh, and I don't think anywhere in here I haven't been able to read of anyone who understood that as being the same person. They thought it was going to be two different Messiahs. But we understand because we have the revelation through the, through the New Testament that Jesus will fulfill both of those. Only God, only God is good enough to be able to come up with that plan. And he's the only one who's powerful enough to fulfill it. Yeah, so just like John the Baptist, we can expect that there will be an Elijah-like figure who will come before Jesus' second coming. I think this is incredible. I, I think this is, um, sitting here in the last verses of Malachi, just this incredible picture of hope. And we could get stuck on the fact that it finishes on a curse, as many do. And I think there's, it's important that we understand what that verse is talking about. But there's a bigger picture here, which is pointing towards the hope that we have. You know, we know that Jesus has come, that he has restored us, he has redeemed us, he has given us a way to reconcile with God the Father. We have that hope, but we have a greater hope in knowing that he will come again as the King of Kings. And that will be revealed to us through an Elijah-like figure. And uh, 
I think this should motivate us to keep studying the Word, to keep studying the Bible, asking questions to deepen our faith, to deepen our understanding of God's plan, the God of history, the God who does not change. Over to you, Richard. Some Thanks. Final yeah. thoughts. Yeah. Thanks, Tom. And uh, I'm really looking forward to, to picking up one to three John Heath letters. Mm. Because why do, we, why do we, when we consider the, the, the phrase good news, what does it imply? There was bad news. Kind of think where the Hebrew Bible lands, it lands on a curse. And kind of where does the... The New Testament open, it opens with the good news. Because there's some big good news coming in the person of Jesus. And uh, I'm really looking forward to going through John and this kind of issue of judgment is that we find some wonderful truths about what God has done. Why we need not fear that. And why there is good news to come as God's word comes together, you know, in a beautiful tapestry. And so I'm really excited about that, where we're going. But as we consider the end of Malachi, and the end of the Hebrew Bible, the New Testament speaks very highly to Christians as how we ought to consider it. This is what Paul says in his letter to the Romans. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And he's talking about the Old Testament. And so there's so much value because it's revealing who God is. He's reading this, studying it, understanding its context, what it means. And that it will build our hope. Isn't that exciting? No? No one excited? Is it just me? Oh, good, is that? We've got another one over here. That, that's good. And also, Paul will say to the church in Corinth, again, just dealing with some different issues, but he says, these things happened when Israel made big mistakes. They happened, um, these things happened um, to them as examples for us. They, they were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. And who lives at the end of the age? We're in that, aren't we? And so, how do you endure? You learn endurance. And so there's these exhortations here to allow our hope to grow because who has the plan for the future? We do. And we read this book, written down over 1,500 years by around 40 authors, based in three different locations in and around the Middle East. And the whole word of God harmonizes together from Genesis to Revelation. I tell you, the more I read this book, the more miraculous I find this. How on earth could 40 people, completely separate in time, in location, produce one big story that is in perfect harmony? And I think that this is wonderful. We ought to treasure this. We have so many copies of this 
People died for it in previous generations, and it was restricted. And, and so the challenge for us is to learn this. Jesus said, go and learn. Make disciples. We build our faith. And we're going to need that because faith enables us to endure. And we know life is tough too. Jesus says, what do you do in those moments when you need to endure? We look to him and we care for one another. That we share one another's burdens. We carry one another. That's how we endure. And so, Malachi, I hope it will be a blessing to you as much as it's been a blessing to Tom and I. But I encourage you to learn all of God's counsel. And that's what Paul says, I'm not ashamed to preach the whole of God's counsel, even if it was difficult. And that's our responsibility to Tom and I and our leadership. We want you to understand the whole counsel of God. Because God will judge Tom and I on how we teach. And for me, that's a sobering thing. And so that's what we want to do. And so I've, uh, it's a real privilege to be able to do this. Mm. But we need one another. 